Thanks, guys. Great to be with you. Well, it's a real privilege to be with you today. This is our uh, Vision Sunday where we get to look back at what God has done in the last year and look forward to where we're going. Um, I, I don't know about you if you remember the first time you ever went into a pound shop. I, I remember the first time I went into a pound shop and I was sh- shocked, frankly, as I walked around was like, is, is this a pound? <laughs> is that a pound? Is that a pound? I can't believe that's a pound. And over and over again, I was like, does anyone else have that experience? I still have it today sometimes. I'm like, I, I'm waiting for the day. I get to the end of an aisle, like there's a car there. And I'm like, no, seriously, there cannot be a, a whatever. It just amazes me how much they can supply for a pound. Do you know what? When it comes to the grace of God, it's exactly the same experience. When you realize, gosh, is that area of my life covered by his grace, his undeserved favor? You know, all that junk I did in the past, is that, is that covered by his grace? What about this? Is that, that's covered by his grace. What about all those things that other people do? That's covered by his grace. Anyone get happy by this? <laughs> this is the grace of God. There is no end to it. And what we talk about today has to come from that backdrop. Anything we've done and anything we will do gets founded on God's grace. And when you realize it changes everything, it wakes you up to, wow. And, and some people worry, well, hang on a minute. Surely if we, if we, we, if we think everything is covered by his grace, won't that make us lazy? You know, won't that make us a little bit apathetic? Well, this is what Paul wrote. By the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is in me. <laughs> That's a revelation of grace when you realize he's given us so much. I just want to give it away. <laughs> Instead of fueling less activity in one sense, it fuels more because you want to increasingly, as Jesus said, freely you've received, freely give. And the more you realize how much you've received, the more you want to give it away to those who are still receiving And so I want to give that as a backdrop to what we're going to look at, which is firstly to look back to see what has God done amongst us, what have we achieved in the last year, and then to look forward to where he's taken us from here. And the first thing, one of the things that we asked the Lord for was 10 incurable diseases healed this this year. And we have seen way more than 10, actually. Let me just give you a, a few stories of the things we've seen. We had one lady, she had chronic back pain from two slip discs. The doctors had said, there's nothing really we can do for you anymore. The power of God hit her in a meeting she then bent over, touched her toes for the first time in years, I think five years if I recall correctly, and uh, she's completely pain-free, went back for an MRI scan, nothing wrong with her back whatsoever, she's been totally healed, she's like, thank you Jesus, so good. There was a lady who had a a tumour in her intestine and she's got a CT scan, I think it is, of the tumour and um, had received prayer in one of our meetings, she was prayed for felt something happen, went back for another scan, the tumor is completely gone. And she, um, so much so, she's actually with a different consultant who said to her, I want to examine your case and give you some more tests because tumors just don't disappear. (laughs) So he's wanting to follow up on that and we'll wait to hear the results on that. And then I think you heard here on one Sunday, a lady who 17 years ago had, was in a car accident, had ongoing back condition because of that, uh, because of the damage that was done to her spine in that. The doctor said, you're just going to have to live with this. Um, for the, it's just, there's nothing really we can do for your back. And anyway, someone prayed for her, power of God hit her, totally pain-free, walking for the first time around with no pain. So, so good. They just love that. Thank you, Jesus. Now, I just felt that even as we just, there's some people, even now, you're just getting healed even as we're speaking. Just check yourself out. Just move something around. <laughs> 
Just wave at me if pain has just lifted that you had a few moments ago. There's something about it when we receive with faith. Just shift your, not enough people moving. There's some people here I know in pain. Move around. Anyone feel that pain lifted? I felt God here just wanting to touch some people. Holy Spirit, just come right now. Just come. Just open your heart to him. Come right now. Just across the room. Lift off neck conditions, back conditions, incurable stuff that perhaps has dogged you for years. Just move it around. Thank you, Spirit of God. Just wave at me. Anyone know immediately something's happened? You can feel God's presence on you. Improvement. I'm just going to wait a little bit longer. Is that all right? Just stand if you would. If you've got, are you waving at me? You've got, is your pain gone? How long have you had it for? Okay, you pulled a muscle a week ago and it's all gone. Thank you, Jim. We'll take that. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Just wait for him. Just, just, just stand, would you? If you've got, got, got a significant pain, would you just stand? I'd love to just to pray just for a moment, just to thank God. Thank you, Lord. Just Holy Spirit, just come right now. Lift this pain now in Jesus' name. Lift it off right now. We just speak the love. Thank you for what you've done and what we're going to ask you to do again. Just if you're near someone, just put a hand on them. We just speak the life of God into your body now. In heaven, there is going to be no pain for all eternity. I look forward to that day. But we say, Lord, let heaven invade earth right now. Yeah, just move it around. Jeff, God's on you. We just pray, lift off that condition now. That's dogged him for a while. Lift it off now in Jesus' name. James, on you. God, we just pray, bring healing now to his body. Thank you, Father. Thank you for Nan on your knees. We pray again. We just speak healing into those knees. All that pain off now in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Just move it around. Just shift it around. Let me know if it, sometimes it improves gradually. Sometimes it's instantly. We see both. Wave at me if something's happened. We haven't got very long, but just wave at me. Some, immediately you can tell something's happened. Something's lifted. Is it, is it pain-free? It's improved. Has it? Thank you. Is it in your elbow? Thank you, Jesus. We'll take that. Thank you, Lord. Just keep praying for her. Anyone else? Immediately, you know. I felt the Lord saying you wanted to do some, some stuff immediately in lives. Thank you, Jeff. How about you, Jeff? Any improvement? Something's happening, but you don't know what. Well, Lord, do some more of that something, whatever that is. Anyone else? Just wave at me if you know something's lifted off, pain's decreased. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. It's hard to tell sometimes, I know. How's your neck, Mary? Any better? More, more movement than normal, but still some pain? Lord, we just pray, do it, Lord. We ask you to do it in Jesus' name, fully. We'll carry on praying for you guys. Why don't you just take your seats? Thank you, Lord, for what you've done. We're actually gonna, we've actually decided we're going to record that goal as 3 out of 10, even though we've seen way more than 10, just for the sake of authenticity. The problem we've found this year is recording medically is very, very difficult. So getting full medical proof is very, very difficult. Three, we feel very confident we have, but there's a whole load of others. Just like, for example, in a team were in Africa. They, in one, I think in two meetings, they saw five deaf ears. People saying, I was deaf in this ear, and now I can hear. So that was in just a few meetings, which you could count but actually there's no medical verification of it whatsoever. So we'll just say, okay, God, we'll give that one to you. We'll know in eternity. And I think we just wanted to do that for, for but we'll just say, Lord, do, do more, do it more. 
and we thank you for what you've done. The second thing we went after was 20 groups, so we felt the Lord calling us to deeper and greater community, and particularly community on mission, out touching lives, impacting lives uh, wherever they went, and we've seen 21 groups started this year, which is unprecedented and amazing. And we've got... What I've loved this year is the diversity, whereas it used to, you come to King's Arms and like, which night do you want to meet, uh, which night do you want to go to a group on? Is it Tuesday or a Thursday? Well, I can't make Tuesday or Thursday. Well, which one, Thursday or Tuesday? You can pick one of them. And now there's just a whole diversity of different times and, 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 and there's a creative writing groups and people doing sport and all sorts of stuff as people have got the vision for. Listen, we can do these groups as part of our normal life. We don't have to bolt it on. We can add it into the things that we are already doing. So that's been fun. 40 people baptized was one of the things we asked the Lord for. We actually saw 28, which we won't be disappointed about. That's still 28 people who've encountered Jesus, whose lives have changed. It does show us we want to pray more and see more. But you've heard some of the stories on the, on the, from the front here. It's just been amazing. You can check them out on the website or the app. Just so wonderful. Every, it only, if it had been one, I'd still be happy. <laughs> because the Lord loves to touch people's lives. And then lastly, 80 sent on teams. We really feel God calling us to be a church that not just blesses here, but actually invests in his church across the world in all different shapes and sizes. And uh, we actually sent over 90 people on different teams, which I think there's around 800 adults as part of our community. So that's over 10% have gone to some... So actually there were more than that, but that's at least one team they've been on, which is phenomenal when you, really, when you think about it. And they've been... Let me just list off a few places they've been to. India. Turkey, South Africa, Zimbabwe, France, Canada, Lowestoft, Harpenden, Birmingham, Sidcup, Southampton, and Rushton, which isn't very far, but it still counts, I think. <laughs> That's really, really good. And we're so, so pleased about that. And I, and I, you know, in one sense, the numbers mean nothing. It's just a number. It's something to focus your mind, to pray into, to go after. We're just so grateful for all the different things, many of which aren't recorded in numbers that God has done in the last year. I want to look now really at where we go from here. What do we feel God uh, calling us to in this next year? And um, many of you who have heard me speak before will know that John Wimber was a man who massively impacted my life many, many years ago. I've never met him, but I've read his material. I've listened to him preaching many times. He's passed away now, but he is in a better place in glory. And he showed me a vision of Jesus that I had never seen before when I first encountered John's teaching. And I know that many of you have never heard him speak before. I wanted to give you just a little snippet from one of his messages. It, the audio quality isn't great, so you'll have to kind of listen in closely. But this will, will summarize really for, for you what John did in my life and what he's done in so many others' lives. Let's, uh, let's listen to it if we can. As I read the New Testament, I fell in love with Jesus. Didn't you? I liked him. I liked what he was like. I liked the things he did. I liked the things he said. Didn't you like those things? I thought that stuff was hot. I liked it when he multiplied the bread. Did you like that one? Huh? How about it? Did you like that? And the fishes, you know, the sardines. I always picture sardines. I like that stuff. I like all that stuff, you know? I liked it when he went by the fig tree and said, hmm, you know? <laughs> and it died. Can you picture him doing that? I like all that stuff. I like it. I remember last night, come forth. That's a biggie, you know? I mean, that's hot. There are not many guys doing that come forth thing, you know, telling anybody to come up from the dead. I liked all that stuff. 
And when I became a Christian, I thought that's what I was going to do. I spent several weeks reading the New Testament and talking with these people, and I thought, this is great. You know, I'm going to join up. I want to do this stuff. And so I remember the frustration of attending church the first few times. You know what I thought they did at church? Now, this is how stupid I was. I thought you, that people gathered at the church, had a good time together, sort of divvied up the land, and everybody went out and healed a few, and cast out a few demons, and won a few people to Christ before lunch. And so, the first few times I went to church, I went prepared with the idea that we're going to, you know, ha, I'm going to take Anaheim. I want to go to Anaheim, you know, the deepest, darkest pagan Anaheim. Over there by Disneyland, that's where I want to go, because that's where I was raised. And when they didn't do it, I was disappointed. And I remember one day asking a guy about it. I said, well, when do we go out and do it? He said, what? I said, when do we go out and do it? He says, oh, you don't have to do it. You just have to believe it was done once. Now that's pathetic, isn't it? I found out over the next year or two that we cried about it, we sang about it, we preached about it, we prayed over it, we gave to it, but we never did it. We never got to go do the things that Jesus did. And I grew disillusioned in the process. Now, you know, when I worked for the devil, he let me do his stuff. <laughs> Didn't he let you do his stuff? He let me do his stuff. But when I came to work for Jesus, they didn't want to let me do his stuff. And I, to tell you the truth, I joined up to do the stuff. Did you? You see, it's doing the stuff that's going to change the world. It's not knowing it was done once. It's not knowing that it's important. It's doing it that's going to change the world. Somewhere, someplace, somebody's got to start believing this book. And acting on it. And I figure it might as well be us. We're qualified. We can read and write, most of us. And we understand that it can be done. Ooh. That's so good. Love that. Father, we just pray as we talk about doing the stuff. Let us not forget that. Thank you, God. Thank you, Father. Come, Holy Spirit. You've got a community here, Lord, who want to do the stuff. <laughs> We were made to do this stuff. We were born. We signed up to do this stuff. We just pray, inspire us, Lord, <laughs> to do this stuff. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I love that when he says, well, I work for the devil. I got to do his stuff. <laughs> I want to do Jesus' stuff. That's what we're about as a community. That's very much what I'm about. And so as we've been praying and seeking God as a leadership, as we've been uh, looking to, to say, God, what do you want us to do over the next year? Of course, there's lots of things, but we wanted to focus really on, on four things. 
that we felt him calling us to. And the first thing is we feel God, again, calling us to be a connected people, deeper connected together. As It's not about doing the stuff on your own. It's about doing the stuff together. It's about connecting together in genuine community, on mission together, doing the stuff uh, along with other people. You know, there's a survey done recently, the Campaign to End Loneliness, did a survey of 1,000 GPs in 2013. And they discovered that 75% of doctors said they saw up to five patients a day whose main reason for visiting the doctor was they were lonely. 2013, last year. A new 2014 Age UK survey found that one million people aged 65 plus in the UK would describe themselves as always or often feeling lonely. One million people. Relationships, in the, a survey done in, by Relate and Relationships in 2014 in part of the UK said this, one in 10 said, I do not have a single close friend, and 19% said in the weeks preceding the survey, they had never or rarely felt loved. That is the state of our nation. That is what we are living in. Listen to this. In contrast, Paul writes to the Colossians, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts for one another, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you must also forgive and above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body. You've been called to one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in wisdom, singing psalms and hymns, spiritual songs together with thankfulness in your hearts to God and walk in wisdom to up, towards outsiders. Make the best use of your time. Let your speech be gracious, seasoned with salt, that you might know how you should answer every person concerning your faith. And you see a vision of something different, don't you? In a world of loneliness, you see Paul's vision for a community, communities that would be connected and hooked together at the deepest and the most profound way. And our vision is the same for this town and this region. Thousands of Christians genuinely linked together, genuinely on mission together, genuinely changing the spiritual atmosphere, the physical atmosphere of the world around them. That's what we believe we're called to do. And the Lord's taking us deeper into that. And notice Paul doesn't say it's going to be a bed of roses. He wouldn't say forgive one another if there wasn't a reason to forgive. He wouldn't say have patience if there wasn't a reason to have patience. I remember my first experience of leading a group. I was thrown into leadership in, in this church. I'd never been trained. I just was told to lead. So off I went. And it was great apart from one guy who loved to pray. Now, there's nothing wrong with praying. What's wrong with that, Simon, you might say? The problem was he liked to pray for everything, every week. And so he would start praying. And if once he started praying, you knew it was like a runaway train. There was just no stopping him. He would start with Bedford. He would pray for that. And sooner or later, we'd be in China. What do you think? Well, it's a good thing to pray for China. He was praying for them all by name, one by one and we were going round all of China and then Asia and then we were back through Europe and this was going on week after week I thought I've got to do, I've got to do something I've got to lead I've got to do something what do you do I didn't want to speak to him because that would be awkward so what I said I said to my friend who was working it was on team with me and I said what you do is when he starts I will give you the nod and you put a hand on his shoulder 
He was like, okay. He looked a bit nervous, but he, I was leading, so what could he do? So the next week, as predicted, we started praying, and he, within one prayer, he was off, you know, and the tra- train was coming out of the station, and we were off. Before we knew it, we are halfway around France, and then I gave the nod to my friend, and he placed a hand on the shoulder, and it st- he stopped. It worked. Until we got to the end of the meeting when he came up to me and said, I need to talk to you. I said, what, right now? He said, yes, right now. I said, right here? He said, no, we need to go outside. I thought, okay, maybe it didn't work so well. (laughs) So we went outside in the freezing cold November night and we stood on the pavement and he started shouting at me. And he shouted and he yelled about how how I hated prayer and stopped him praying and how could I dare do such a thing? And I was a young leader, I didn't know what to do. So I thought, when someone's shouting at you, what do you do? You shout back. So I shouted back at him. And he shouted at me and I shouted at him. Well, no one had trained me. How did I know? We shouted at each other for a while and that was my first introduction to Christian community. Now, fortunately for your sake, PJ has been working on me for years now and I realise there is another way. The thing is, we are called to community together with all the bumps and the the difficulties. Why is our nation in such a state? Why is so much of the church in such a state of loneliness? Because we don't do what Paul said. Forgive one another as Christ has forgiven you. We go into community thinking, oh, I'm never going to have to forgive someone. And then something happens and we reject community. No, no, the model given to us, the picture painted for us was you will have to forgive people. You will have to have patience with people, but you're still called together. You are still called together. And you know what? The number one thing I hear about this whole thing of getting in community, the number one thing that comes back again and again, I'm too busy. I'm too busy. I've lived in seasons of my Christian life in the same mentality. I'm too busy. Let me just be straight with you for a minute. Let me paint a picture because this happens over and over and over again. People say, I'm too busy to get into community. So they don't. They come on a Sunday quite happy. Everything's going well. They give themselves to their work, their life. Everything's going well. The kids, family, everything's going well because they're too busy. And then crisis comes. Normally, I've seen in the area where they were giving themselves to. Work, home, wherever. Crisis hits. Crisis hits, and what do they do? Who to to help them? There's no one there. They've not built community, so what do they do? They phone the offices. Now, I'm all in favour of people phoning the offices. I'm not trying to put anyone who is in need phoning the offices, but listen, this is how this works. They phone the offices who then find some of the pastoral team to meet with them. The pastoral team meet with them and they say, well, which group are you part of? Which small group? Which missional community? I'm not in one. Oh, why not? Well, I was just too busy. Or I was in one and it closed and I just never bothered to join another one. They're like, oh, okay. So what they have to do then, and they're great at it and they do a brilliant job, but what they have to do then is they have to create some kind of artificial community around this person because they were too busy to join a group. And and they do, and they care for them. But guys, this is not how it should be. What I've realized is this. When I am doing great, someone else needs me. Someone else is not doing great. And I need to be, if, if for no other reason, I need to be in community with them because of them. Because I might not need it, but they need it. That's what the church does. That's what family does. Because sooner or later, there's going to come a day when I need it. And when I need those relationships, and I need to have worked through the difficulties, and suddenly all the bumps and groans, you forget about them because you need people around you. This is what Ecclesiastes 4 says, verse 9, two are better than one 
because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him who is alone when he falls, and has not another to lift him up. When you're in trouble, the New Testament does not say phone the offices, much as I'm happy for you too. <laughs> it's not in the book. It says what? It says one another, one another, one another, one another. 54 times in the New Testament it says one another, pray for one another, care for one another, counsel one another, support one another, give to one another. One another is the model of New Testament community. Yes, we have staff, but very few relative to a thousand people. They can't possibly, most of them are part-time, they can't possibly do the job of one another. And nor were they designed to do that job. One another is the answer. It's like going to the dentist, you know, you go to the dentist, your teeth are falling out and rotten, the dentist says, do you brush your teeth? Well, I used to. I had a toothbrush, I did have a toothbrush and I brushed, but then it wore out, so I just didn't bother getting another one. I, I, just, I just didn't bother with another toothbrush, I, it was just, you know. That's exactly what we're saying when we say, I used to go to a group, but I don't anymore. It's not, Christian, brushing your teeth, you sign up for life. I'm sorry to break that to you if you've not realised that. You signed up. When I signed my kids up at two, three, four to brush their teeth, that was it, kids. Off you go for the rest of your life. Christian community is the same thing. This is not just something you do for a season. It's something you do forever because it's what you were born for. Are you telling me I have to get into a group? I'm not telling you you have to get into a group. I'm not telling you you have to brush your teeth either. I'm not telling you you have to get into a group in the same way I wouldn't tell a car that it has to drive or a bird that it has to fly or a fish that it has to swim. It's what they're made for. It's what we were made for. Some are saying... Some are saying... That's all the people who are in, already in groups clapping. Some, some, some say, and this is valid, some say, I'm just, I, I can't go every week. Then don't go every week. Go when you can, go once a month, but commit in your heart. Pray for people when you can't go. It's not about turning up every week. It's not about slotting in the hours. It's about committing to people at a heart level. Some people maybe need to start some online groups for people who just can't get out in the evenings or in the daytime, although we do have groups. That whatever it takes, I'm saying, let the excuses go away and instead decide I'm going to find a genuine community in whatever form. I don't have to put a label on it or a badge on it. I'm just saying to you, God is calling us to this as a community to go deeper. And Sunday mornings is great, but they just don't cut it when it comes to real community. And so this year we want to go again and start 20 more groups, which will be an unprecedented number, two years in a row. But there's so many areas of the town that haven't yet got a group. There's so many people groups that I'd love a group that's, I mean, who's reaching the Polish? Who's reaching the Italians? There are literally hundreds of them, thousands probably in our town. We need groups of every size and shape to reach the lost and also to care for one another on a journey. Second thing is this, God's calling us to pray to be not just a group connected, but a prayerful people. This is what Paul writes to the Colossians, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us the door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I'm, I'm in prison. I've got a dream of having a praying church, a church that are called to pray, a church that pray their socks off all the time because that's what they are made to do. You know, there was a survey of people who came to faith in Christ as adults, 383 of them. It was done about 10 years ago. But the, the statistics are interesting. 
one of the things that came out of it is the number one thing that they all had in common out of all the other things that you might think that they would have in common, like being invited to something or whatever, the number one thing that these 383 adults who had come to faith in Christ as an adult had in common was this. They knew someone was praying for them. 87% of them knew that someone was praying for them. Your prayers are powerful and effective in a way that we just don't understand. They change people's lives. 87% of them. And you know what? The other thing, the interesting thing was, a third of them, 33%, had actually prayed with a Christian. Not only was someone praying for them, someone, they knew someone was praying, someone had sat down and prayed with them. You know, our biggest fear often is, I won't be able to answer all their questions. Well, listen, only 6% said that answering one of their questions was a reason they came to faith. I think that's a, that's a smokescreen of a fear that the enemy likes to throw up to put us off. You might not be able to answer a single question apart from saying, I don't know, but the answer is Jesus. <laughs> but if you pray, you will see people come to faith in Christ. That's what the stats tell us. And it's an amazing privilege that we have to become a praying people. You know, the last great revival in the UK was in Scotland in the Hebrides, started by, launched really by a guy called Duncan Campbell, but this is how he says it started. I'm sure you'll be interested to know how in November 1949 this gracious move of God began. It was in the Hebrides, there were thousands of people came to faith in Christ uh, through this move of God. It began like this, two old women, one of them 84 years of age and the other 82. One of them was completely blind. They were greatly burdened because of the appalling state of their own parish. It was true that not a single young person attended church in the entire area. And so these two women were greatly concerned and they made it a matter of special prayer. A verse gripped them, I will pour water on him who is thirsty and floods upon the, on the dry ground. They were so burdened by this verse and by their state of their area that both of them decided to spend much time in prayer twice a week. On Tuesdays and Thursdays, they got on their knees at 10 o'clock in the evening and remained on their knees until 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning. Two old women in a very humble cottage. One night, one of the sisters had a vision. A vision came to one of them, and in the vision, she saw the church crowded with young people packed to the doors, and that is how the revival began. <laughs> It begins in prayer. And so this year, what we want us to do, to, just as a practical step, in your chair or near you, you'll see a little prayer card like this. And on the back of it, there's space to write three names and one nation. And we would love you, and 200 of us we're asking, but we hope many more, to fill this card in. You can let us know online that you're doing it and to commit to pray for three friends who, or three family members or whoever, who, someone who needs to meet Jesus, to pray for them faithfully once a week for a year. Let's see what God will do. Let's see what God will do. And you can let us know online or in the app if you want to do that. This is fantastic. Sorry. Come on. Two years you've had it. That's so great. Thank you. That's so great. Sorry, I saw you earlier, but I got caught up. Sorry. Got too busy for a miracle. There you go. There's a lesson for you, Simon. Okay. The thing is this. Courageous people. Colossians 4 verse 5 says, Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. We're called to be a courageous people. And do you know what? Actually, around the tracks, we would probably be known as a courageous church. I think we feel as a team and as a leadership as we've been praying, we don't want to plateau out at this level of courage. You're like, God, if this is as courageous as we get, God help us. You know, There is more for us. 
encouraged. There is, we've got to keep pushing forward, not just rest on what we've seen in the past or the stories of yesterday. I want to see greater acts of courage in the future. And, and that's our vision. We feel the Lord calling to us. And so in the next year, we want to record 2,000 acts of courage across our community. On your seats again, you'll see a little card, and on the back of it, you can fill in your story of your act of courage. That You, you can, get again, do it online. But 2,000 acts of courage. Again, the number's meaningless in one sense, but it's something to pray for and to go after. And for some, that act of courage will be simple. It'll be perhaps a child who tells a lie at school one day and then goes back the next day because God has convicted him and tells the truth. That's an act of courage right there. For Right the way through to someone leaving Bedford and planting a church in another nation, we want to record acts of courage in whatever form they, they look. And, and we feel this, this sense of God, uh, God on us, moving us forward in acts of courage, to be a people who live with a, a burden, like Wimber said, to do the stuff. And whatever that step looks like for you, I'd urge you to, to take the time this year to say, God, there's a thousand of us, it only takes... I suppose you should exclude the babies, maybe, but it only, it only takes two of us, two, two acts of courage each, and we'll easily hit that goal. So let's all be thinking and asking God, what, what's my act of courage? What's the next step for me? For some, it will be simple. You know, someone said to me, you know, it takes an act of courage for me to get out of bed in the morning. Okay, you can have that once, not every day, all right? <laughs> that might get a little silly, but, but a genuine act of courage, you think, you know what, I wouldn't have done that if it weren't for Jesus in me, if it weren't for his spirit in me. 2,000 acts of courage. We really feel the Lord pushing us forward on this. And then lastly, we feel God calling us to be a generous people, to go deeper in our generosity. This is what Paul writes, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Get that. I mean, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you. Notice that word stewardship. It's a word that you would rarely hear today. But through that lens, Paul sees everything that he's been given. Stewardship. What was it? What is a steward? A steward who looks after something on somebody else's behalf. And Paul says, everything I have has been given to me by God for you. His money, his time, his gifts, his energy. He saw himself as a steward. This is where we hook back into this message of grace. When you realize how much grace God has given you in finances, in resources, in time, in gifts, when you really understand that, you realize you are just a steward of those things. And they are in you for the blessing of the world that God is calling you to that place. And that's why this year we really want to ask God to make us greater stewards. And we, particularly in this era of finances, the gap between kind of our vision, what we want to do, and what we currently get in every month is about £200,000. That's building and church together. We used to do them separately, but doing it all together in one year. £200,000, that's the gap in between what we, want, what we currently get in every month and what we want to do. And so we're asking us as a community to say, God, how can we give to that? What can we give? What, how can we play our part to that? to that gift. And I, I see it a bit like this. You know, this ring that I wear, it's worth, I don't know, what's it worth? What did we pay for? 150 quid maybe? 100 quid? Something like that. It was expensive at the time. Uh, you know, in one sense, it would only cost 150 quid to replace it. But if I lost this ring in this room, 
I would tear this room apart to find this ring, rather than face embarrassment of going home and seeing Caroline <laughs> without it, which would be awkward. In one sense, it's a very little value, but in another sense, it's a huge value. Your gift, your finances might seem to you like very little. What does it matter if I put 20 quid a month into the church, 100 a month? You know, the budget's huge. What does it matter? Well, it matters to God because he's given you your part to play. And for some, it's, you can give financially massive amounts and for some financially small amounts. But in God's eyes, it's all about stewardship. It's valuable to him. It counts. It counts. And we've seen miracle after miracle year in, year out, as people have given of some just 10 pounds, some 100,000 pounds. God sees it all the same. And there's stories in the book that illustrate that. Next month, we'll give you details. We're going to take up a special offering. This is what we feel called to do. This is our vision. We want to be a connected people. Let's go deeper into community this year. Let people in community not, who are currently not in getting to connection in whatever form that looks like. Let those who have got a burning vision in their hearts to start a group, start a group. This is the year for it. We're asking God for 20 more groups. A prayerful people, a courageous people, and a generous people. Let me just finish with a quote from John Piper as we close. He writes this. Three weeks ago, Ruby, Elayson, and Laura Edwards were killed in Cameroon. Ruby was over 80 years old. She was single all her life. She poured it out for one great thing, to make Jesus Christ known among the unreached, the poor, and the sick. Laura was a widow, a medical doctor. She was also over 80 and served at Ruby's side in Cameroon. The brakes failed on the car. The car went over a cliff. They were both killed instantly. I asked my people, who knew them well, was it a tragedy? Two lives, driven by great, one great vision, spent in service to the poor for the glory of Jesus Christ. That wasn't a tragedy. That is glory. I'll tell you what a tragedy is. I'll read you from Reader's Digest what a tragedy is. Bob and Penny took early retirement from their jobs in the Northeast five years ago when he was 59 and she was 51. Now, they live in Florida where they cruise on their 30-foot trawler, play softball and collect shells. The American dream, come to the end of your life, your one and only life, and let the last great work before you meet your creator be this. I collected shells. That is a tragedy. And people today are spending billions of dollars to persuade you in films and movies and on the, in the TV that you embrace that tragic dream. And I get 40 minutes to plead with you, don't buy it. Don't waste your life. It is so short, it is so precious. I grew up in a home where my father spent himself as an evangelist to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to the lost. He had one consuming vision, preach the gospel. There was a plaque in our kitchen for all my growing up years. Now it hangs in my living room. I've looked at it almost daily for 48 years. It says this, only one life, it will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. It is all by grace. We get to do the stuff. We get to do the stuff and make our lives count.